0: Welcome back to the Relentless Minds Podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest, they desire a change for the better and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in and together with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. This is your host, Lori Jimenez. Today's guest is Consolé Nishimwe, who was raped and tortured at the age of 14 during the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsis and due to this contracted HIV, which had plagued her for years until she was able to find the strength to live with her condition. Consolé had also experienced the loss of her father and her three younger brothers, aged 9, 7, and 16 months old. She was thankfully able to survive with her mother and sister, who provided each other with love and support after the genocide as they struggled to recover from the trauma and loss they experienced. In this interview, Console discusses the trauma and pain she felt as she attempted to piece together her worth and dignity in the years following the genocide, and how she discovered strength in sharing her story with other women, and how she believes in the power of vulnerability to heal our souls. Console's memoir tested to the limit a genocide survivor's story of pain, resilience, and hope is available for purchase online without further ado let's begin the conversation thank you so much for being here today i truly appreciate that you've taken the time out of your day-to-day to to sit down here with me Mm -hmm. we're both in new york city Mm -hmm. and you've traveled out here to meet me so that we can do an interview where Mm -hmm. i'm going to be sharing your story of how you survived the rwandan genocide Mm -hmm. and also what you're doing now you know you're a speaker on genocide and you also advocate for other survivors mm-hmm. and i think the most powerful thing that I'm, i ta- i've taken away from mm-hmm. you as a person mm-hmm. is that you find such impact mm-hmm. and power in telling your story right Thanks. and the ability
1: mm-hmm.
0: of that of that action of telling someone's story and your own story mm-hmm. in healing in producing Q. healing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very honored to have the opportunity to provide this platform for you to share your story. Thank you so and much. Teach other people about Thanks. that power of
2: healing. Thank you so much for having me. It really means a lot. And thank you for taking the time to come here. So it really means a lot and to come here and and speak on your on your platform so mm-hmm. it really means the world thank you so much really so it's not, it's so not a problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so to start off yeah mm-hmm. you know i read your book oh, thank you so, so much. i read your book mm-hmm. um your memoir mm-hmm. tested to the limit a genocide survivor's story of pain resilience and hope mm-hmm. and it was very moving and there was a lot of it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot because I was walking in your shoes.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: From before the genocide occurred mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. fa- your life with your family mm-hmm. when it was complete,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and how that experience was for you growing up because you were fourteen years old. I know. You know, you <laughs> were at the age where you were fully aware mm-hmm. of everything going on around you. Mm-hmm. And um, I was walking those steps with you of the experience mm-hmm. of the, the right before the genocide at the genocide during the genocide mm-hmm. and so i have i'm just very very interested in, in diving into this story mm-hmm. uh, i have some questions mm-hmm. i'm just curiosity of, of mm-hmm. really how you were able to get through mm-hmm. um but to start because i want the audience to really learn about your family mm-hmm. your family and how your family was and so if you can take us to the life before the genocide like mm-hmm. how was that life for you with
2: your family. Thank you again for reading my story. It really means a lot. I know um, it's um, it has been really for me uh, a journey of healing, a journey where um, I felt um, that I needed to share uh, that life to everybody, to hear um, as one of the many survivors, to hear what I've been through. So. Um, like you mentioned, you know, I was fourteen, very happy child, very happy girl, and was very fortunate to have a good parents. As you read in the book, I was very fortunate to have a good parents and my father and my mom and my siblings. Being the oldest in my family, you know, having a large family on both sides on my on my mom's side and my dad's side, and always like anybody, you know, whatever you're looking forward to visiting your your grandparents enjoying life and just you know all these small things sometimes we uh, would take for granted. So it was joyful for me. However, we lived our lives. For me, it was a blissful life before the genocide. So I, as a kid, I would say I was really happy, and then I, I was in a, I was really protected by that family. I would say that I was really joyful, you know child until in my teenage life, so my preteen before the genocide. And um, I, I have great memories that I cherish, you know, going to school with my parents and coming home and especially, you know, sharing meals together and all these, you know, small things that sometimes you, you, you don't necessarily think are important. Uh, now I cherish them more since I don't, have their family anymore so, and my siblings each one of them so they contributed something in my life that i really cherish now so especially those i don't have now anymore even though they were younger but there were things that are there are things i remember about them and for me i wanted to share that part also to the people before the tragedy before the genocide because we had that i had that family we had you know these beautiful moments together. So I wanted people to see that before they see, you know, the painful part and to see who we were before. Mm-hmm. So, and my my parents were very affectionate, as I mentioned a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> in the books. Uh, they really loved each other a lot and we loved each other. I would say, and every time I speak to my uh, my cousin who always reminds us, say, oh, we always you know we always remember about the affection your dad and mom had. <laughs> your mom, your parents were really affectionate and loving. So they were kind of like example to our, some of our family because of the way they were, you know, to each other and also to us as kids. So uh, I'm really grateful that I, at least the shortest time I've had with both with um, especially my dad who is no longer here. I had that moment with him to see him as a man who cared his family despite all the discrimination he was going through at that time So as a Tutsi in the country, so yeah.
0: Yes, the examples that you were giving of how Mm -hmm. loving your family was, Mm -hmm. your parents to each other, Mm -hmm. and your father with you, and your siblings, Mm -hmm. it was very moving and I think it was a very important part Mm -hmm. because it you know, as we know, during the genocide, Tutsis were dehumanized, Yeah, right? And so mm-hmm. they were not depicted as, mm-hmm. as, as humans, as people yeah. with, like, feelings and emotions and, mm. you know, desires. And mm-hmm. in your memoir, you clearly were able to show us mm-hmm. how your life was with all this love that everyone had for each other mm-hmm. and the support... And so, taking us there, it was more impactful than you know moving forward than mm-hmm. going through the, the experience mm-hmm. of of the genocide. It was it was a loss for all of us. Like yeah. I felt the loss as well. Mm-hmm. And when it came to your siblings, your family members who lost their mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Um, it was your your younger siblings, mm-hmm. right? Your younger brothers, mm-hmm. and then um, and also your father. Yeah. And when it came to Mm-hmm. Because I know the story, yeah. everyone else doesn't know the story here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you should definitely purchase Consola's book, um, and we will talk about the book, and we'll put all the links where they need to be so people can access that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When it comes to surviving, how did you guys manage? Well, first of all, actually, I would like to talk about the treatment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the treatment from the community towards Tutsis, because yeah. we want, I want, uh, because you go very close and, and, and into the story of how everything was going on, right? Right, and mm-hmm. so. When it came to treatment, the treatment mm-hmm. of Hutsi, Hutus towards the Tutsis and mm-hmm. the discrimination, mm-hmm. as a fourteen-year-old, yeah. that you started to experience, or even earlier than that, mm-hmm. what were you seeing, growing up, in your community of mm-hmm. the treatment towards
2: you, mm-hmm. as a Tutsi? Um, as you can imagine, you know, I mentioned before, like being with a family that really protected me and my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite all the discrimination we we're going through, they managed to really give us a home where we felt confident and loved. But at the same time, there were things they could not prevent, you know, the especially when you go out and go to school. Like being a kid, I had to be in school, I had really to be active like any other child. So in the early times when I was in elementary school, uh, I felt the discrimination with discrimination because my teacher, who was standing, because this is what they were doing, standing up in the classrooms as the Tutsis and Hutus. So at that time when it happened, for me, I was a kid, I didn't necessarily really give it a thought about it because I was still young and I had to go back to being a kid again. But as a teenager, that's when I felt really horrified when one of my classmates actually bullied me in junior high school. So I really felt really horrified and that's when I started feeling like being a Tutsi is not easy in the country. So of course I was hearing around how, you know, on the radio, hearing all these dehumanizing languages, calling us cockroaches and all these languages that we are not the same as Hutus in the country. We should not be part of the society. You know, I I, I was so confused I couldn't believe like what I was hearing because at home I was being taught to love everybody. Yes. To care for everyone. Mm. But then I'm hearing something else from adults who are you know, uh, telling a large number of people who are our neighbors, pretty much our neighbors who come, we share everything. My neighbors, my parents taught, they taught their kids in school, because my parents were teachers, both of them, my dad and mom. So they taught many of their kids. They are telling, oh, hate your teacher because he's a tutsi I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and at the same time, grateful my parents really never allowed the conversation of fear in our our home, instead they kept telling us to love people, to care for other people, and at least that helped me to go out there with other kids. Despite all these, you know, discrimination I faced, at the same time I felt really loved and I I wanted to be a kid. I I never really had so much thought on what I was saying, I heard before, so I never imagined Mm -hmm. that there would be a genocide. But at the same time, there were tensions everywhere. Tutsis were being discriminated everywhere in the country. You could hear some people died in some part of the country because they were Tutsi. I mean, as a kid, it was really terrifying. It was terrifying. But at the same time, at least um, my parents managed to... You know, to keep, keep that things. safety at least a in the house, yeah. maybe not outside it wasn't easy, but at least in the house, yeah. at least that I cherish that. Mm-hmm. Even though I've been through, you know, the most horrific thing after when the genocide happened. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I have to say, like when mm-hmm. it came to the
0: examples of like mm-hmm. being loving towards others, those mm-hmm. principles and values that your parents mm-hmm. instilled in you. Yeah, how do you feel like this helped you? throughout this experience of the discrimination of Mm -hmm. being bullied, Mm -hmm. right? And that was another Mm -hmm. triggering moment Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. me that you had a a classmate Mm -hmm. that was your friend previously Mm -hmm. and then because of everything that was Mm -hmm. being spread, she started to bully you and hit you.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's what she was being taught at home by her her family, that we are not the same and she comes at school and bullies people who are Tutsis and i couldn't believe like someone who's the same age as me doing that with so much hate in their with heart with so much hate in their heart uh, She was terrifying to me really she scared me a lot and my parents couldn't even find a way to to say hey you know go to school and because of the discrimination they were worried so yeah. but they couldn't even find a way to explain to me that they can't do anything about it except that they had to tell the teachers don't you know allow the kid to see it maybe nearby her, but because I at least I can find a way to be far away from her, however I can. But other than that, it was not easy. How do you feel about
0: that now, like as an adult yeah. looking back? Mm-hmm. Because you know you were taught and you throughout this period had so much love, mm-hmm. right? It was all about in your mind really working hard mm-hmm. on showing love mm-hmm. and on not having hate and you know the prayers you guys are praying incessantly yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah. to have the for, for God to protect you and to mm-hmm. give you the strength mm-hmm. to still have a positive mm. feeling towards others right that were are causing these, yeah. these, these harmful things towards mm-hmm. you thinking back do you think this allowed you stay strong throughout this event Mm -hmm.
2: yeah I think as I think back I'm so grateful especially for my mom during the hiding times where she kept reminding us of course even before the genocide we were taught to pray Mm -hmm. all the time and then during the genocide you know reminding us to keep praying and, and, and to love despite you know we're in the midst of most horrific thing and we had the right even to be angry to be, you know, saying anything bad, but at the same time, I'm glad she did that because it really helped me in my adult life after the genocide to use that in the way of my healing journey. So at least it it didn't, you know, when somebody asked me, where you, you're angry or hateful or anything like that, Mm -hmm. it didn't, I didn't go there. I was just more, I was more painful actually. I was dealing with a lot of pain because of what I've seen. I wasn't necessarily like angry person because of the way she. um, I learned from her to see her being loving again despite the pain. But uh, it really taught me to never allow myself to go in that in the path of hate, Mm -hmm. because um, she was reminding me that it was not going to help me in my healing journeys, and the pain was too great to bear. But at the same time, I, I had those things that she taught me, and I carry those within me. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> and to give mm-hmm. to give the audience, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy that your mom set such an example. I have so many things to say about the example and the strength that your mom Thank you. that your mom gave throughout this whole ordeal, mm-hmm. and we will talk about that because that is part of women in crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, and what women are experiencing, right. what they have to go mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. in these moments. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the pain that you're mm-hmm. mentioning, all of the mm-hmm. pain that you were facing, mm-hmm. can you share with us the most painful events that occurred to you during mm-hmm. the genocide yeah. that you had to face and you had to
2: mm-hmm.
0: stay strong and, and try to continue mm-hmm. life afterwards?
2: Right. right. Um, like any other genocide survivor, um, we've lost so many people. Uh, the painful thing is losing my dad and my three younger brothers. But uh, being a, a teenager at that time and being a girl during the genocide, it was not easy. Being a woman just in general during the genocide because rape was used as a weapon. So um, <clears throat> it was not easy for a woman to find a, place, a safe place to hide. Even even if somebody was not do, committing the genocide, killing sometimes the person who hid you in the house was raping you. So, and there are women who would never be able to even like, you know, say, "Oh, this person raped me," because he never committed the genocide. Nobody will ever believe that because they will say, "Oh, he he was hiding people. He was hiding you." So, but at the same time, took advantage of hiding you and you know raped you. So and of course there are many perpetrators who are kidding and at the same time raping women and torturing them. So and um, one of the most uh, painful thing as a woman is to go through that. Among many women and it's 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 really painful to go through that as a young woman. But of course with um, with the help of my mom and, and everybody so I had to never give up. And just you know to see that I'm one of the fortunate at least who because many women who were raped live with really big consequences I live with consequences of being HIV positive but I'm not as you know like many others who who live the consequence at the same time they are not functioning anymore so because they were destroyed completely so they can't even function anymore so. Uh, Like the example of? The example of like a woman who was raped and tortured physically, not only being raped, but they tortured her body to a point where she could not even like walk, even do anything on her own. And some of them, they are not psychologically able to function anymore. So because all of us don't cope the, the same way. So And then having kids from rape, which is something that um, many of them couldn't even find a way to to live with so it it was a lot of pain but when i look at myself at least having a mother because i survived with my mom and my sister at least i have somebody to lean on and on her shoulder and cry so really i i feel like i'm fortunate so i i don't compare myself very much with them i really i'm really fortunate Despite the pain, at least I have the person around me to, you know, to lean on her shoulder. Despite her, because she had the pain, she was carrying my. She was carrying my the pain I was carrying. Cause the same pain. Losing the babies, the three babies who were my younger brothers, and one of them she was carrying on her back the whole time during the genocide, and then having to see her daughter, her oldest daughter, what she'd been through. It was. Um, It was too Even myself, when I tried to put myself in her shoes, I don't know how she managed to keep herself strong. I don't know if I was being the one to be a mother, what what I would have done. So I don't know.
0: And I think about it. Yeah. That's very true Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. your mom was very, very strong throughout Mm -hmm. this period. Mm -hmm. And having to show, be that pillar of strength. Mm -hmm. For you and your sister and mm-hmm. then your cousin who ended yeah. up you know mm-hmm. being a part of the family right and after the genocide ended it was so painful the examples of that for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. i was just very very moved and i was going to ask you mm-hmm. what you may have taken from that as well mm-hmm. the lessons that you have learned from her being so strong because one thing i noticed about you is that you're very you're, you're a very happy person. <laughs> thank you. You seem like a very
2: optimistic person. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: And um, in that time, though, what did you guys do mm-hmm. in order to, to try to be there for each other and to try to
2: continue life? Thank you for asking that. Um, we live together, as I mentioned in the book. My mom, my sister, and my aunt, and my, my cousin, Chantal, I mentioned in the book. So just only women in the house. <laughs> Sometimes people used to joke, like people walk here, oh, that woman's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? so yeah, but we really supported each other. We helped each other. My my aunt and my mom really knew that we we're raising teenagers who were so broken and painful in many different ways. And all of us were different in the way we were coping. So, but at the same time, They knew how to be there for us and to remind us, you know, the thing, the way we should live, just not going on the head, you know, side, and just to keep loving. And I'm grateful that because not so many survivors had those people to be with them, to help them, you know, because they lost the entire families. At least we had those two people who were important in our lives at the same time, knowing us very well, and help us in that journey. Even though they were so painful, they were going through their own pain, mm-hmm. but at the same time, every day they remind us that we, we are here for a reason. We are we an are image of our families we've lost. Oh, yeah. we, are, we need to love each other. Yes. We need to be there for each other. Of course, it was not easy. As I always tell my mom, I don't know how you did, you guys did it, to be able to help us and be able to be normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> the three of us normal. Uh, I don't know how you did it, but I'm, I'm so grateful. Each time I speak you know, to them, I'm always telling them that we are so grateful. All of us tell them we are so grateful that they were there for us. And that's the reason why the three of us were able at least to never really do anything maybe harmful because some people do commit suicide when you are, you are painful. You, th- you may lose you may decide to commit suicide you may do anything harmful to yourself but I'm grateful we never went that in that route and I'm so and I don't take that for granted I think it's because we had them and your mom right now she is,
0: she's still in in your is she? she yeah with she's your in Rwanda, sister
2: with my sister and your and, your, and my aunt you're very old yeah <laughs> But they're there supporting <laughs> each other, which is so important. And I think if they were not, if my aunt decided probably to live alone, I don't think she would have been alive. Mm-hmm. Really? One of them would not have been alive now. So I think maybe for my mom, it would have helped because of, you know, having two kids maybe. Yeah. But for my aunt, it will, I don't think she would have been able to really live longer. But somehow it helped them to live longer to support each other. And their sisters. They love each other. They really care one another. They have. I've never heard them arguing, ever. Oh wow. Ever heard them arguing? They find a way to, to speak in a, in, a, in a way that is very incredible. Without I, you know, me and my my sister. Sometimes we had the argument, but they were always saying, "No, don't do that." Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know.
0: Because I'm so amazed at your strength and your ability to overcome adversity.
2: Thank you.
0: I was very interested in asking you about your experience being diagnosed with HIV. Because you were raped Mm -hmm. at 14 years old Mm -hmm. and I read there you were constantly Mm -hmm. worried about this being a possible consequence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you didn't actually get tested for it until much later in life. Yeah. So how old were you when you when you got tested and you got the results?
2: I was around twenty five.
0: So you're twenty five yeah. and you were mm-hmm. living here in New York City? Mm-hmm. Right? And so this is already I was getting very
2: sick at that time. You were getting so. very
0: sick. Mm-hmm. And this was ten years, so this was ten years after mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the 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 rape. Yeah. How was that experience for you? Mm-hmm seeing, you know, still trying to cope, still trying to heal, Mm -hmm. and then years later, then having this consequence from Mm -hmm. a decade, an event that happened a decade prior that you Mm -hmm. were trying to Mm
2: -hmm. shed. I was trying to shut down every memory, but it wasn't uh, possible for me. And um, it was really painful to even see the paper finally, to see this is what you have, the consequences is, is real, so you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. Um, it was uh, it was really painful, really painful because I was trying to think. Um, in my brain, I was always telling my brain. Even though I kept thinking this is what I have because I could see my body always, you know, changing every every year. Every year, I could see the change in my body. And then when I, I got very sick, that's when I, um, I I I really it was really painful. It was really painful. But I'm so grateful for the people being around me to. Comfort me um, to really tell me that you know life is is still worth living. Of course, being with HIV positive is it's not easy. It's a, of course I was going to live a different you know my mind was always reminding me all the time that this is the reason why you take a medicine is because of what happened to you. So it's a constant reminder. And I had to find a way to deal with that, you know, with that thought always come in my mind. How can I really make it in, in, in a positive way so that I can live a healthy and fulfilling life? Yes. So I had to look at the medicine as a, a vitamin. So I changed huh. my mindset. So I say, well, because of course I had to, I think everything starts within your mind. So yeah. you have to find a way to, to heal your mind. In order to heal your body, your mind has to heal first. Huh. Yeah. That's so I, I had to tell my mind that this is a vitamin. So you, you are healthy. You are in perfect health. <laughs> you are well. Mm-hmm. And you deserve to live a, you know, a happy life like anyone else. And whatever happened to you should not determine the kind of person you are in the society. You are not what happened to you. You are a human being who deserves to be happy and worthy of living.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So you were telling yourself all these things in yeah. order to make yourself... It's my
2: affirmation, so I had to create... That's really your medication. <laughs> my medication, right? And That's no one else can do that for you except you. Absolutely. No one else can do that. I have to really you know tell myself because even my mom would never do that for no one else would never do that for you unless you you're the one who really found a way to change the way you look at yourself so yeah despite you know what happened to you so it took a while but gradually i was able to get to a place where i don't see myself as hiv positive woman i see myself as a you know as a a woman like anybody else so you know and
0: you're here and you're happy and you're thriving and you're healthy and you're beautiful (laughs) thank
2: you you know and that's that's all that it is that is who you are thank you
0: But, you know, you are speaking Mm -hmm. to the genocide survivors, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so when it comes to sharing your story Mm and when it comes to connecting with them, because Mm -hmm. rape happened a lot. It was Mm -hmm. 10,000 women who were raped every single day during the genocide. Mm -hmm. I know that you don't only speak to genocide, Rwandan Mm -hmm. genocide survivors, you speak Mm -hmm. to all survivors, but Mm -hmm. this is a common issue. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to you speaking to women and, Mm -hmm. and connecting with them, What is it that you've seen that truly
2: helps these women to start to heal? Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for asking that. Because as you can imagine, speaking about rape, it's not an easy thing. For any woman anywhere, it's not easy. And for survivors, there are so many women who never shared this, Mm -hmm. even now. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I started sharing my story, I realized that it was opening doors for so many women who kept that within themselves for so long to want to share there's some of them who are not sharing so not so many yet but they are sharing the, what, what they've been through because of also the, the, the stigma the stigma also attached to rape when, you're, mm. you, when you're, you, you were raped sometimes people don't necessarily think of perpetrators mm. they look at you as you are not seen as a woman anymore so somehow everybody looks at you differently there's a shame also is a shame, uh, stigma, and everything attached to, you know, somebody who is who has been raped. And many of them don't want to share because of that. And it can be hard for so many of them to share. But at the same time, it's painful to keep this within yourself because it won't allow you to live well, to be happy. And also for the people uh, who have done this to be the ones, I always say that, as survivors who've been through this, we should not be the ones to carry the shame. Hmm. Like, perpetrators should be the ones to carry that shame, not us. Whenever I speak, I always tell survivors what it's been for me sharing this story and how it has helped me to start my healing journey so that it can help them also to start that healing journey if they, they choose to share that story and the world to know. What, what happened, to what women go through in conflicts and also genocide and many other places. And I feel like it's my duty to really do this, uh, to help my fellow survivors and to be able to make sure that what happened won't keep happening anywhere because it destroys life. When you destroy a woman's life, you're destroying the, the, the community life because women really make the society be better so yes, <laughs> if you are hurting a woman you are hurting a society
0: you know you said <laughs> you said some important things yeah. when it came to yeah. um, also the fact that by more women sharing their yeah. story mm-hmm. you're also bringing more awareness to an yeah. issue mm-hmm. and so when women are silent about the situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't make it seem like there's an actual problem happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then by sharing your story you are bringing awareness to that problem. Mm -hmm. And hopefully more resources will be available Mm -hmm. to support Mm -hmm. women as well. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like the story, you know, sharing Mm -hmm. your story and connecting with these women, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm sure that Mm -hmm. you grew up kind of learning about the stigma, right? right, Mm -hmm. Behind Mm -hmm. telling people about the rape Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. experienced Mm -hmm. and the HIV. Mm -hmm. What was it that made you strong enough to yeah. go out there and start sharing your story?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't really natural for me to be able to share what I, I shared, uh, mm-hmm. knowing the stigma attached to being um, raped and also living in the continent and being HIV positive. Uh, for me, I think it's because of therapy mm-hmm. and the people I surround myself with who really uh, helped me in that journey. If I didn't have those people, I don't think I have been able to have really the strength and the courage to publicly share this with the people. Because when, when I've had those who have been around me and also doing, you know, going to therapy, it allowed me to, to see what others are going through too within themselves. And I decided to be a voice for others if i don't say it and have the courage to say it how i'm going to help our society that's when i had the courage to share it.
0: absolutely mm-hmm. and that's interesting because mm-hmm. in order to have that mm-hmm. psychologist mm-hmm. you know the, that help mm-hmm. and then also the support from your mm-hmm. from your close friends and family mm-hmm. yeah you still needed to take that step to tell your story but i had to, right yeah. and so it's mm-hmm. always that initial step to actually be vulnerable yeah. and confide in those individuals but yeah. so many people don't have that right it so like, you know, in Rwanda, like after in the aftermath of mm-hmm. the genocide, mm-hmm. was this an issue when it came to orphans that now didn't have their family members mm-hmm. to speak to? Mm-hmm. How has this affected survivors in Rwanda or in crisis? Like, how is this inability to be able to speak to people, to mm-hmm. have a family member and to mm-hmm. express their pain? How is this affecting? Would you say those individuals
2: from healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you can imagine, um, looking at the what the way the genocide really uh, has affected, you know, so many people. There are so many families, there are friends who lost their entire families. There are people who don't even have a person to talk to when it comes to a family member. Uh, so the the genocide survivors really uh, suffered within themselves, with the trauma because of that. So when you're used to having a family member to go to, imagine like it's holidays, and then normally you go to your grandparents or you go to your uncles, but then you have to figure out where to go. Mm-hmm. Who, who is going to to be part of your family? It's a trauma by itself, beside what you've been through. That's really traumatic. So many survivors really went through that, but they found a way to support each other. For instance, like my mom, I used to have many of my friends' survivors come to our home just to be, you know, with us in our home and visiting us and share meals and all that. So, and it's part of supporting each other. So we found a way to... I don't know if you heard the there are some artificial families. People have created huh. artificial families. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's a it's the organization for survivors where in high school it started because of these, you know, survivors didn't have where to go to. So they, the organization to help help survivors actually to find a way to be parents to each other. So the artificial family meaning I can be a mother to somebody who's the same age as me, it was because they somehow realized voting for me. They realized that somehow I'm able to give advice to my friends. Wow. And, and they help each other in a sense of like feeling like you have a family, even though there's no family, but it's a way of helping to feel like you're not alone. So if you have a way, everybody else will find a way to help each other, to, to help you. Organize the wedding, and they will find somebody who's going to represent you on the groom side or bride side. So, so they have to create ways of supporting each other because in Rwanda, family means a lot. So everybody Mm. loved that sense of having a family. So when we lost families, it was hard. That's the reason why even that thought came out. Everybody had to find a way that we have to really live normal, even though we are. It's not a normal thing, but we have to find a way to be normal. That's incredible. So
0: this is yeah. in th- this is in Rwanda. In New Rwanda, yeah, they had the what's the organization called?
2: It's called IRG and GIRG. So I'm trying to say in French because they are uh-huh. more in French, yeah. Okay, so this organization
0: yeah. has created artificial families for yeah, the these high survivors. school.
2: IRG is for high school, and then GIRG is for university wow. for those who are in university and then after university and you know now some of them have kids i mean it's a way of supporting each other and it it made survivors at least have some normalcy you know Mm -hmm.
0: i'm so happy that they've provided that Mm -hmm. sort of support because Mm -hmm. the amount of trauma that one goes through Mm -hmm. during genocide and things that i was reading it's Mm -hmm. it is so so painful Mm -hmm and packing on top of that Mm -hmm. trauma, like Mm -hmm. seeing your family members raped Mm -hmm. and killed in front of you, And having to live with those images and not mm. having somebody that you can confide in or mm-hmm. someone that you can trust and that can mm-hmm. love you, mm-hmm. I can't even begin to think about how one person can go on. Yeah, maybe in your one book, thing I can say a little yeah. bit
2: about that: um, those artificial families. There were many survivors who were going through trauma at school, and having each other, it has helped a lot because they support each other through that. Because. Many of them are going through trauma. Sometimes they couldn't function. And this family, which was created, <laughs> yeah. will be there for you. As you said, Anybody needs someone to be there for them to confide in, or who understands you, who knows yeah. like what it is without necessary you explaining too much. Yes. Everybody knows what you're going through.
0: You know, and even like mm-hmm. you know, support groups mm-hmm. locally for people that are going through depression or people mm-hmm. that are going through addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, and having able to confide in somebody who understands right. that pain mm-hmm. is it's such a powerful mm-hmm. resource. Mm-hmm. And something that I read in your book that really, really stuck with me, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to mention it, was when there was a widow who shared this with your mom. Mm -hmm. And she said that one of the most pressing needs that many of us, she was Mm -hmm. speaking about the Mm -hmm. women, the Mm -hmm. widows, Mm -hmm. the the community of widows, Mm -hmm. many of us have is for someone to listen to us about Mm -hmm. the different things we went through and to feel that others understand our plight. If we can restore our will to live, we would become motivated to do what we can to satisfy those other needs. Mm. Many of us have already given up and feel that life is not worth living It continues mm-hmm. staying there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was so yeah. impactful to me. <laughs> Thank you. Because mm-hmm. it is simply a listening ear, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, listen. We just want somebody there to listen to mm-hmm. us who can try to understand mm-hmm. or who understands. Mm-hmm. And just having that, yeah. she says that that would you
2: know, restore that would help to restore their will to live. Yeah. It's a gift to have that really listening ear. And mm. I
0: have to say that, you know, I'm happy you were able to have that. Mm-hmm. And in your life now as an advocate and as a speaker, how have you seen or how have you felt in your own healing, mm-hmm. have you felt that it has helped you heal to be able to be there for other women?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking me that. Um it really has helped me. Meeting people who who share story with me, and we all share each other, especially as women, share each other stories of what happened in different lives, in walks of life. And um, I'm glad that I did it because we we need to support each other. We need to help each other, and I feel better since I started. I really love life. <laughs> yeah. For those who know me, I enjoy life. <laughs> I, I, I see it. I,
0: first impression of you, and I'm like, you are the most happiest, positive person I've ever met. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. You would never think that you went through what you went oh, through. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you so much. It really, that's what I wish for everybody. And I wish for anyone to... To be happy, no matter what you, it doesn't have to be that you have much, wherever you are, but just to be happy within yourself. I think that's the most important thing and I'm grateful to be able to have the strength to do what I'm doing so that I can see another person seeing you know, a smile on the face and it really makes me happy. So, and it's so
0: empowering to see that. I'm so happy to see that because yeah. it, you deserve it. You deserve to be thank happy. You deserve to be enjoying life thank and, you and to so be much. looking forward to you know your next day and your next opportunity to help someone else.
2: Thank you so much. Absolutely. Another thing that really, the reason why I also wanted to have the, the story written is to make sure that also these young generation, even younger generation from Rwanda, around the world, mm. because those younger in Rwanda, they are the same like anyone else here. So yeah. they learn the history and I want them to um, also to learn through that history and Not so many of us who are same age, who are teenagers who have that story written. So some of them, they start reading at the age of 12, 11, and all that. So And seeing a Rwandan who is at the age of 12, 13, or even 14, 15, teenager reading the book, it really means a lot because I know they are learning the history and and hopefully that they can make our world a better place. And recently I was... um, I was exchanging messages with my my nephew who is probably 13 14 he say mm. oh Auntie, i read by the way i, I read your story to recent i read your story i say wow yeah it made me feel wow <laughs> old, of course <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, but you know, that, that impact was made.
1: That but was I, made. I want
2: to, you know, it really, for him to have, also to want to read that story, for him to That's know true. that it's his family, it means a lot. and I
0: read it, it was very, very, very moving. Mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to Thank read you. your book. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave the, um, the link and information for anybody who wants to access your book. um, for them to do so and again your book is Tested to the Limit A Genocide Survivor's Story of Pain Resilience and Hope Um, I I got it through Kindle I know it's on Amazon as well yes And I will place the link for anywhere else that it could be that's available for purchase online. And um, you know, I did want to ask you because I also believe in the the mission that you're on Mm -hmm. about sharing your story Mm -hmm. and about empowering other women through your story and giving the example of your strength. And you know what else I want to (laughs) say that's super that's super important about when you share your story is that in a way it's also Mm -hmm. a manner of of honoring the lives of those that were lost.
2: Yes, Um, I want to make sure also. We honor the lives of those who are no longer here and to share their stories. And my family and others who have lost their lives during the genocide against the Tutsi, and also these women who were killed right away after being tortured and myself. And uh, when I speak, I think those women, I have them in my mind, that they are not going to be here to, to say what they've been through. I want to be a voice also for them. Do you feel that that gives you strength? It to gives continue? me strength to to live on. I feel that they live within me. Ah, oh, that's yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> I love that so Thank much, Kotsone. you Boutone. You're so special. You're such <laughs> Thank a, you. Thank such you a so
0: beautiful, much. such a beautiful person. Thank you so much for having me. Really means to be here. Absolutely, I'm you. so happy that you came mm-hmm. to share your story, to be honest and vulnerable, and to really introduce to us the mm-hmm. importance of sharing the story and how that can lead to healing mm-hmm. and even you know also being mm-hmm. there for your family members mm-hmm. you know for those that might be going through mm-hmm. a hard time
1: thank you
0: and to listen to them mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you know having to have something to say mm-hmm. just lending an ear yeah and being willing to listen without judgment yeah and that's so important mm-hmm. for for our audience i believe it's a
2: gift to each other It's a gift to each other. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Is there anything else that you would like to share about the work that you're doing, about the big dreams that you may have moving forward in your life, or just a message that you want us to really take away today? Yeah.
2: For anybody who's listening, all of us, you know, have been through a lot in our lives. there would be someone who's listening, probably who has a painful story they've never shared with anybody, or they they are giving up on life i want to encourage that person to never give up you are not what you've been through you deserve to be happy and don't give up on life and know that you are here for a reason and just remind yourself that you're incredibly amazing and find someone to to re- to tell what you're carrying within yourself and know that you are loved and you're going to live a better life after sharing what you have within yourself. And you're going to feel the joy within yourself. And you deserve to be happy for the rest of your life.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much, yeah, Consolé. Yeah, that was you. a powerful message to leave us with. And I thank completely, you. completely agree with what you have to say. Thank you. That is very, very true. Thank you. Be vulnerable. Find somebody that you can mm-hmm. confide in mm-hmm. and tell your story because you will feel better. You'll feel like a weight is lifted off you. Yeah, you'll
2: feel like it's a load lifted off your shoulder mm-hmm. and you'll feel light within yourself and And you deserve to feel that.
0: And if anybody wants to look into Console's book where she tells her story in detail, um, we did not too much into detail in her story because it is available in a book. Yeah. And her book is Tested to the Limit. Her memoir is Tested to the Limit, A Genocide Survivor's Story of Pain, Resilience, and Hope. And I'll make sure to include all the links where you can access it and purchase it in the show notes. And so, again, everybody, thank you so much for for listening today. And Console, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Or anybody who wants to also follow me on social media, you can... I'll include the links to that as well. But thank you so much for having me. It really means the world to be here. Thank you. It was truly a joy talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.